Welcome to Gross Anatomy. I'm saying I do know the details. So you're saying, because I don't know what we're talking about today. (laughs) Well, I wanted to start by talking about um, the celebrity college scandal, which is what everyone's talking about lately. So we're live. We're live. So you're saying we're live? (laughs) Okay, so. So the scandal is. Wait. What? You're already talking. We're supposed to say what we're doing here today. This is Gross Anatomy. This is Gross Anatomy. Right. Welcome to Gross Anatomy, where we talk about the sight, smell, sounds of medicine and how it relates to pop culture and movies and film and television and all that fun stuff. And I am joined by... You're Dr. Jason Cohen. Thank you. I forgot who I was for a second. (laughs) And I'm Lauren Taylor. And you're Lauren Taylor. And... You know what I was thinking? It's Wednesday night. We do this on Wednesday nights. This is our Wednesday night thing. It's not so much night, but Wednesday e- early evening. This is our Wednesday early evening thing. We're meeting here Wednesday early evening. And interestingly, the reason why we do it on Wednesday, well, it has nothing to do why we do it on Wednesday, but every Wednesday at one of the major teaching uh, um, academic hospitals where I work, I actually run a pre-med program. And uh, I've been running this pre-healthcare, pre-med program for, I think we're about to go on our fourth year. It's a formal program. And we meet, in addition to all the other stuff, we meet with our students every Wednesday afternoon. And you and I have just made it our thing after my pre-healthcare meeting that we do our podcast. So here we are today after my pre-healthcare program. Yes. Yes. How'd it go today? It went splendid. Today we interviewed a, a neurologist. We So what we usually do on our Wednesdays is we all the students are there, and usually it's a group between 20 to 26 students, and it's the head, and it's run through the volunteer department here at the hospital. So it's the head of the volunteer department and one of our coordinators. And we every week we have a different doctor, and she or he comes and talks about, usually it's a doctor. It's almost always a doctor, but it could be an administrator or someone else in healthcare. And they come and they talk about their journey and how they got to be where they are. And today we talked about a neurologist. We talked to different doctors or healthcare providers in different levels of their career. Some at the very beginning, some at the middle, some at the end. Sometimes, you know, a fresh out of school, brand new resident who's doing their residency here. So it's all different stuff. So today we had a guy a little bit younger than I am who didn't know some movie references, which kind of upset me. The movie reference he didn't know, he said he, he grew up in the Valley. So I said, Valley Girl, the movie, and you're probably too young to know the movie. But I thought he was of my age, and he kind of is, but I guess he's not a movie guy, so he didn't know Valley Girl. with well, Nicolas Cage, it was one of his early roles. Do, do you know yeah, the movie? Yeah, no, I've heard of it. I just yeah. haven't seen it. Has nothing to do with medicine, though. Oh. Other than the fact that it was brought up today at the meeting, but I was kind of disappointed that he had no idea. I'm sorry. Yeah. So what's our topic today? What are we talking about? Well, we want, I wanted to talk about uh, medical school, like those students, how they get in, like what they have to prepare for. And I thought an entryway into that is uh, basically the celebrity college scandal. That's and a great entryway. What do you think of that? The nearly 50 people have been charged with um, taking part in a nationwide college admissions cheating plot, including actresses Felicity Huffman and Lori Loughlin. Yeah. So I, I know I know both of those names, and everybody's like, Lori Laughlin is in, what's that show, Crowded House or something like that? <laughs> Full House. Full House, right, 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 right. And, which, I don't, I, which I don't think I ever watch, but everybody loves her. So I think it's fabulous. I think it's a great <laughs> thing to happen. It, it's perfect. 
Um, it just set, sheds spotlight onto like the rich have better access. I mean, which we all know. We all know that all of Hollywood has better. The rich and Hollywood have better access. Um, but I, th- what I find funny is if you're willing to spend that much money on your kids getting into school, they probably don't need to go to school. They're probably going to do just fine. The same thing, right? Like apparently, you know, like Jared Kushner's dad paid for them. Like Trump paid, not paid for them, not a scandal, not go to jail over. But you know, they give the schools millions of dollars, right? But do I mean they're going to go work for their dad anyways? Why do they even need this? Who needs school? Or just go to a crappy school? So it must just be the prestige of it, just to be like right. my son or daughter right. got into. Although I, you know, it got me wondering too. Certain schools, you you probably don't have to necessarily donate a ton of money to, and just because it's the son of super duper rich star, they may accept you also, having nothing to do with money. Right. You know, for like the super duper. Well, because you sometimes yeah, wonder. and then they get that like my kids person. knowing when they apply to any school. My kids are going to get in because they're the kids of Dr. Jason Cohen. Automatically, they're going to get in anywhere <laughs> nice. just because of my super duperness. Yeah. And they want you to show up to their fundraisers, right? Then that attracts no. More they people. don't even want my fundraiser. They just want me, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 weird. It's kind of surreal. I think more than anything, um, but it does make me realize. Segueing into the topic you want to talk about is getting into school in general, especially medical school, and that's one of the interesting topics that we talk about. It's each. It's funny. Each session, our our pre med program, we have three sessions. We have a spring, summer, fall session, and kind of there's always a theme of each session. Like one session, and it's accidentally. It doesn't really happen on purpose. One session it was about finding a mentor, which I think is incredibly important, which is one of the reasons why I run this program, because I personally never felt like I had a true mentor. Um, so I kind of want to give back and help these kids kind of figure things out a little bit. So that, for one reason or another, that was one session's theme. Another theme was kind of go with the, be willing to kind of go with the flow. You know, if if you have an opportunity in Hoosville that you never would have thought you were going to go do, take it. Who knows which path it'll take you down, and it may be amazing. Um, interestingly, as I pause to belch, <laughs> um, this um, this term. The topic is, since there's a pre-healthcare, pre-med program, the topic has kind of been, the theme has been, what if I don't get into medical school? Should I apply to a foreign medical school? Because there are medical schools in the Caribbean, in Europe, in Israel, um, where you finish school as a medical doctor, as an MD, and then you try to get back in and do your residency, your subspecialty training, your training, um, in the States. So should I, if I don't get into medical medical school, should I go to foreign medical school, which is incredibly easier to get into? Or should I consider going to DO school, doctor of osteopathy? So if you ever notice, I don't even know if you're aware of it. So most people don't even know about it, I think. My name, you know, for my ID is Jason Cohen, MD. If I go to an osteopath school, it would be Jason Cohen DO as opposed to MD. And it's a doctor of osteopathy or osteopathy, however you want to pronounce it. How do you want to pronounce it? I don't want to pronounce it. Don't pronounce it. Yeah. So 
And and so there's that we've been having that debate in this this term session, which is kind of interesting and kind of ties in a little bit to this whole scandal of not getting into of of you know paying your way to get into school. No, it's just really the stress about school. So let me just backtrack a little so I understand it. So these students that you're helping like mentor, right? They what did they go to school for? Like major? So they're they like, co- they're either. Active college kids, and since we're in LA, a lot of them are UCLA or USC students. Some go to some of the other schools around town. Um, during the summer, we have students from all over the country come, and occasionally we've even had some foreign students. So they're either active college students; they have to have finished their freshman year of college. So they're either active; they have to be eighteen or older, or they're post back students, students who finished college have maybe had other careers and are now going back to medicine or just had a different kind of major in college and were a little slow and are now trying to get into med school. And there's some that are actually on the fence trying to decide, hey, should I go to med school? Should I not? Should I become a physician assistant? This and that. So the students range in age. We've had some in their 30s who have had, you know, we had a kid who was a banker who now, you know, is realizing, hey, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be a doctor. And he's doing his his prerequisite resists pre say the word for me Prerequisite. thank you so much in uh in a post-back program okay yeah so these students are they like interviewed and they're entered into the yeah program? okay it's a great program it's a very fo- it's an actual formal program it used to, i've been very involved with the volunteer department where i am uh for years but then uh the last four years it became this formal program which i helped to run i, I i'm the medical advisor of the program and the kids have to um, it's almost like applying to med school. They apply, they fill out essays, they have to get letters of recommendation. Then we go through a boatload of applications. We narrow it down. We offer interviews to a smaller number. We, they actually come in and interview them, which is a fun setting. We do a group interview. We have a few of us and like anywhere between two to five of them. And we kind of ask them zany questions and different scenarios and nothing to do with medicine usually. Um, more just to kind of get to know who these kids are. And then we accept anywhere between 20 to 25 kids. And usually we get over 100 applicants um, just within a, less than a week. And then we just cap, then we close the application portal because it just is crazy. Wow. If we left it open, it would be insane. So we post kind of give everybody a heads up. Hey, it's going to be open from so-and-so. It comes in in a couple of days. We close it after roughly 100 because... We're only taking 20 or 25 kids. So you've been doing this for four years. Formally, I've been running this program for helping run this program for about, I think we're going on our fourth year now. So would you say a majority of those people become doctors or go to? So that's a great, that's an amazing question, Lauren. (laughs) Thank you so much. So actually, one of the things we say and I say and, and I feel is that I consider it a success if our students don't, if they figure out, you know what, this program is great but I want to be a dancer, you know, or I want to go into advertising or marketing or, or I want to be the best shoeshine guy in the world, whatever it is. I, I consider a major success. Yes. Most of them still wind up going to medical school. Some go to decide to go to nursing school. Some decide to go to physician assistant school. We've had some become, when I was involved with the program on, when it wasn't a formal structured program, I was still very involved with it. So I've been mentoring students since 2000, um, which I was two years old. Um, I've been mentoring them since 2000. And um, 
Some have become lawyers, some have gone into business, all different things. And I consider it as much as a success because it's a long, tough, hard road process, the pre-med process. So it's great to figure out to get off of it sooner than later. Right. So, and then most of them, if they're like a freshman in college, would be what, like biology majors or just what? We've had all different sorts of majors. A lot of them are science majors. These days, not so many straight biology. They're all these, you know, back when I was in school, it was biology or chemistry. Now they have a million sub-specialized kind of majors that I can't even remember. Or they could just call it so many other things with just letters that I don't even know. But, but then interestingly, you know, we've had a few students who have had theater careers or were theater majors or business majors and all different sorts of things. And that's one of the things that I try to encourage is not to hurry. You know, a lot of these kids, we all to some degree feel like we got to hurry up, although not so much millennials anymore, but up till the millennials, which you are, right? Yeah. Millennial. Yeah. Up till the whole millennial thing, the feeling was I got to hurry up, rush and start working and get a job. And, And I think there's still that to some degree. But I think millennials have kind of figured it out. They're like, let me live a little, which which I envy. I wish I had been a millennial to some degree. Which is what you tell your oldest daughter to do. Exactly. That's what I'm telling her to do. Yeah. And interestingly, she has a lot of guilt about, um, I got to hurry up and fit, you know, I got to get my job. And I'm like, don't worry, you know, you're going to be, oh, don't just, or she's like, I got to take a a job just to, I got to take a high paying job as opposed to something that's not going to pay her at all. You know, I'm like, listen, she would like doing right. Right. I'm like, you're not, I'm not going to let you starve. Um, I actually, I've talked to some people that you had interning in your office before and they were having a real, they were like having to retake what test do you have to take to get into medicine? The MCATs. The MCATs. Right. One of them was retaking it. Right. Just to get a better score. And right. they seemed like really smart, bright, eager guys, but they were having a hard time getting into medical school. And that's when I realized, I mean, that's the first time I, re- I mean, I didn't go to medical school, so I don't talk about it often. I didn't either, but that's Okay. <laughs> But how hard it is to get in. It is. So do you think like most of your students will get in or you think they'll just have a. Um, yeah, no, it's getting harder. It, the strange thing is it, it seems like it's getting harder. Actually, it's always been hard to get into med school. Yeah, I kind of want to hear about your journey and like if well, there's a difference nowadays. Yeah. Well, you know, you still hear these stories. We had one of the doctors who we interviewed who sound like a superstar said that I don't remember if it was a she or a he, believe it or not, but said that she only got in, applied to like X number of schools and only got into one school. But the truth is all you need is one school to get into. But but that's not uncommon. You could apply. It's not like college necessarily, but even college today is much harder. Like I, I feel like if I were applying to med school today, I probably wouldn't get in. Um, just because there's so many more just people. So many more people. Everybody has 80 zillion things that they do. They're a concert pianist. They're, you know, a school, a professional scuba diver. They've invented their own tech startup company um, and speak 87 languages. You know, it seems like the so applicant. Then what pool. would give them the edge? Like if they're You need your dad, parents to buy you into yeah, school. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Could yeah. they like donate to a hospital wing? Like does yeah. that still like... I think that's silly. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, there are certain things that give you an edge. The things that give you an edge, unfortunately, I think with a, and this is one of the things I tell all the students, when you're applying to school, to med school at least, the most important thing in applying to med school, unfortunately, is your standardized tests. And I think even for college, you know, it, it's a very unfair system to some degree. And I guess that's why the how these these 
wealthy yeah, people kind of, of even like the playing field, you know, paying off the proctor to like write right. in answers or correct tests. Because it, there, it is a little unfair, you know. If you can't get a great score on a standardized test, your application may not even be looked at, which is ridiculous. Luckily, I did. You know, I, I never did insanely amazing, but I always did really well on standardized tests. I'm not a super duper test taker, but I was, but I, and I worked hard to, st- and I studied, but I always got, you know, enough above the average on the standardized test to get me where I needed to go. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, this isn't like a med school college uh, scandal, which I would think right. really couldn't be, right? I mean, you can't be a doctor and pay your way to be a doctor. I don't think you so. Have to- yeah, I, I I mean, but sure, who knows? Maybe you can. Um, maybe you can. I don't know. But, the, you know, unfortunately, the key is really those standardized tests. And, and so one of the things I tell the students is you need to take studying for those standardized tests seriously. You can't just say, oh, yeah, I'm going to study with your legs up. I, you know, I talked about my, the way I studied for the standardized test for the MCAT. I kind of, I was in college. I was in my junior year of college. Um, and I kind of, luckily I, I was able to, for however many weeks or I I think I studied intensely for maybe six to eight weeks and I was able to kind of almost blow off or maybe my course load that semester wasn't that academic or rigid. And I was able to really just focus on the studying and I woke up and I studied and I went and I studied all day and maybe I worked out or or I was swimming back then. Maybe I would go for a swim every day. Um, and then I would study and I, and I lived it and I breathed it. Explain this test to me, people that will never take the MCATs. Yeah. So it's an M and a cat. So they're like seven or eight different cats, kittens around you. What is it? Is it like, all right, my husband is taking the CPA. It's like a four part test. Yeah. So, you know, I took it 80 zillion years ago, so I think it's changed a lot, but it was an all day exam. I remember I took it on Earth Day in Binghamton, SUNY Binghamton. I went to now called Binghamton University I've to make it to sound Binghamton. cooler. Why? Uh, for a wedding. Oh, nice. Um, there was actually a movie by uh, Hugh Grant about Binghamton. He was like a college. He was a writing teacher, professor, and he gets a job in the middle of nowhere at Binghamton at my college. Not and, Yeah, I forget what it was called. It was a cute movie, more so because I went there, so it was kind of nostalgic. But um, so it's it's an all day test. It's um, science. It's basically tons of science. I think there's math. It's been so long since I've taken it, okay. even though I kind of uh, talk about it with our students and stuff. But for me, I wasn't even a science major. I I was an art major. I, I was know. a painting major, and I really just did the the bare necessity pre-med requirements. Um, so for me, learning all of that stuff was a brand new language when I was studying. So I had to like shove all this finite amount of material into my brain. So I studied like a madman and I kind of was like shuckling back and forth every day studying. And I told my, and I tell my students the first time, and I would read those books from cover to cover. You go to the, I took a course, whether it's Princeton Review or Kaplan, and I would make sure to speed read it from cover to cover. And I either underlined it, the, no, I highlighted it the first time. Then I read it again and circle, and I really just tried to shove all this stuff in my brain and do it quickly so that by the time I was ready to take that test, it was there, you know, with kind of a recall instancy. Um, and uh, 
So unfortunately, that's a key thing to do. And then doing things like our pre-health program are important and doing shadowing is important and maybe doing research is important or going and doing, you know, being involved in extra is important and certainly doing well in your grades. But the reality is standardized tests, then your GPA, and then all the other crap. And then you have to interview? And then you have to inter- interview. Interestingly, you know, for law school, you don't have to interview, but for medical school, you do. Yeah, I would have thought that? it'd be the other way around, right? You'd want to so make too. someone be a good lawyer. Right. Yeah. And I remember the where I went downstate, State University of New York at Brooklyn, um, SUNY Brooklyn. Um, I remember that interview. Um, and the reason I remember it so well is I walked in, and again, I was an art major. The woman had a cool painting on her on the back in back of her little office. And I loved the painting. I knew the artist and I talked about that and I mentioned it right away. And we spent the whole interview talking about art and culture and this and that. And that was the best interview I ever had. And I got in there because it was a conversation as opposed to just a question and answer thing. Nice. Um, and that's that's a key to an interview, too, that I tell everybody. And then you started your journey and it was like the show Scrubs or what was it like? My journey? Your journey you're through medical school. Did I ever talk about... Um, I don't know if I necessarily want to discuss the journey today, but one thing <laughs> I, for some reason that popped into my head was when I first, after medical school, I started surgery residency, same place at Downstate, State University in New York at Brooklyn, and there's our telephone in our back office, and um, I, we were given a pager on day one when we started residency, our internship, training as surgeons, and I remember putting that beeper on my pants and very soon after getting a page and sure enough they weren't looking for me they were looking for the person who had just graduated the chief resident who had just graduated whose pager it had been um and i was all nervous to get the page and it wasn't even for me and then i finally got a page shortly thereafter and i felt like a doctor that's exciting yeah and then you probably never slept because according to all the tv shows and movies uh interns who are doctors do not sleep they work yes. what like 16-hour shifts. Yeah, there's a, there was a lot of that. It's it's definitely less so now. Um, yeah, there's a lot of sleep deprivation. I read, I don't know if it's true, but that a lot of those students were taking, like, uh, the same pills jet flyers or jet fighters, pilots take. Pills? Yeah, to, like, stay oh, awake. I, it's funny, you know, I never took any kind of... Um, Actually, I never even started drinking coffee until I met my wife in my 30s. You never... I didn't drink coffee. Diet Coke. I was a Diet Coke addict. I used to drink, I'm not exaggerating, at least a six-pack of Diet Coke, maybe two six-packs of Diet Coke a day. Okay. Which is definitely not healthy. It wasn't caffeine-free. No, it was definitely not caffeine. It was all that NutraSweet and crap. And finally, my wife, thankfully... Um, got me off of that stuff. And I can't remember the last time I had a Diet Coke. I still use some artificial sweetener, the stevia stuff, but, um, but I, you know, I only have one or two coffees, three at the most a day. Um, and sometimes I don't put anything in it, but what was I going to say? But the only time I ever took anything to kind of keep me awake was in college. I think I took a no dose and I don't even remember Uh, what was in no dose. I remember one night I was pulling an all-nighter to try to finish an art history paper or something like that in a class called The Cult of the Arts and Saints, which was a really cool class that I got all nervous. I was doing really crappy in, so I decided to pass-fail it. So 
because in the beginning of the class I wasn't doing that well, and I'm really bummed because I wound up getting an A. But since I passed failed uh, it, all I got was a pass. Didn't have enough confidence. In no, yourself. I didn't. Well, I didn't think I was going to do the work. It was all up to that one night of no dose. You know, it's hard to put it all yeah, on I that. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, about the no dose. I forgot. Yeah, does that still exist anymore? I don't know. I don't even know what was in it. But I do. I do remember feeling very wired. But let's talk about the this whole scandal thing. Okay. So another part of this scandal that. Um, one of my friends, uh, he's, a, he's probably like 60. He, um, actually coaches like girls soccer and it's like a volunteer thing. Like his kids played soccer. So he likes to like help, um, coach girls and help them get into school. And so I know he was really upset about this scandal because it involved athletes It involved, um, people pretending that, uh, like photoshopping, their kids' faces onto actual athletes and right. posing them as athletes and then paying off, like, I don't know who, athletic directors. I think one was, uh, like, for a row team. Um, right. And it, it just really upset him because, uh, uh, I mean, all the athletes that he, like, coaches, like, ha- you know, half of them won't even get into these schools. Right. And the fact that people are pretending they're athletes and getting a pass. Uh, It'd be nice if we could just level the playing field, but I don't, I don't know if- could the playing field ever be leveled? Uh, I don't know. Apparently, I don't know. Uh, Lori Laughlin and her husband uh, did not think so. They paid $500,000 in exchange for having their two daughters designated as recruits to the USC crew team. It's amazing. Which, I mean, this is just naive on my part, but I didn't think of USC as like a college that you would pay $500,000 to get into. I, I had the exact same thought. I mean, no disrespect to USC. My daughter's boyfriend goes there. But, yeah, I mean, okay, Harvard, fine, right. Yale, Princeton, Stanford, great. Well, the but other USC? three schools were Yale, Georgetown, and Stanford. Like, the Ivy League schools I could see. Right. But USC, I was just like, why would you pay that much money? And I know. And you... She could have done it the legal way, like um, Dr. Dre. I mean, not. I think his daughter got in. I don't know. Maybe just right. by, based he on our own merits. Right. right. But he also donated $70 million to the school. Right. Which is the legal, unfair way of getting yes. your kid in. So it's like, what if they don't, if they paid $500,000? They could have donated 500000 yeah. and built a wing or something. Yeah. I feel like USC would have let them that? in. But the truth is, don't you think they probably would have let her in anyway because she's the daughter of these people to some degree? Or like she might be interesting? Who knows? She yeah. might have been able to get. It's it's weird. She's Becky from Full House, and right. her husband is, uh, I mean, a famous designer. Right. So, and one of them, Felicity Hoffman's husband, is. Uh, uh, why did I just forget his name too? Uh, from Shameless. Yes. William H Macy. William H Macy. He's yes. a very good actor. Very good actor. He's in Magnolia. Like if I had a I college, like. I would take their kid because probably that kid has something cool. I know. I'm so you don't have to give me five hundred thousand, but if you want to give me five hundred thousand, you can. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think that's why it's been in the news for so long is because people are just shocked by this. Right. But the truth is, I mean, just go to any... The reality is you could get into some school. Mm-hmm. So go to another school. Like, I, does, does I go agree. To your, yeah. And that's the interesting circling back to our pre-healthcare program is this dilemma now that we tell these kids, should they go to a foreign medical school or should they go to a DO school if they're not going to get into med school. Because there are some kids, in fact, our guest today, who's a doctor, who's a very well-established, great doctor, he admitted, he told our group of students, he said, listen, 
first time around, I didn't get in. And then he worked harder, did well on his MCATs again, and he got in. And, and, um, and that's not uncommon when you talk to a lot of doctors. They may not have gotten in the first time. Um, and then there are plenty of docs who wind up going to these foreign Caribbean schools, and they turn out to be wonderful doctors. And it's and what just because happens when they, they graduate from what, like a foreign program, and they come here, they have to retest? What do they have no. to do? So it's a, it's a harder journey for sure if you go to a foreign school because it's all, at the end of the day, it's still about your board score. So in, in medicine, you're not just done once you get into med school and take your MCATs. Then once you're in, you have to keep taking boards. You have to take your, your, um, you call it the step one boards and then the step two boards that certify you to be a doctor. And then there's a step three. So there's three parts of board exams that you have to take just to make you a doctor. And you take those exams during your schooling and training. So if you do well in med school, on those exams, then you will get a good residency. If you don't do well on those exams, then then you may have trouble getting into some kind of training uh, specialty that you're interested in. Right. Which is why you tell the students in your program now to take their time, discover what they want to do. True Because that. it sounds like once you're in, you don't have a life. It gets hard. It, it gets hard. It, it's not so much... To some degree, you don't have a life, but it's also just, it's a major time, um, it's a major, major time commitment. It sucks up a lot of what you're doing. And at that point, you've invested so much time and money and effort um, that it really is hard to then go back and say, oh, what about so-and-so? It's much right. easier now to say, that makes sense. what about so-and-so? I feel like most people who become a doctor probably just stay a doctor. You went through so much Trouble. Most. Yeah. And, and it's one of the regrets. It's one of the things I tell my students is slow down. One of my biggest regrets is I didn't take a year off either in college or after college to go abroad and explore and do more studies of different sorts of things that I, you know, film and theater and, and uh, business. I wish I would learned some business stuff, which I never did. What is like a common question uh, your students ask? Are there any good questions you can share with us? Any good Q questions? Q&As that they have? Of me or to the other doctors? Well, they're, they're all Either interested way. in... One of the things that all the students are interested in is um, kind of the daily life of every doctor. You know, they're curious what their normal daily routine is, what time they wake up, what time they go to sleep, what they're doing during the day, what they're, you know, how often they're on call, how many... Um, and uh, to the... To, and, and it's different for all different sorts of doctors. You know, it's funny. There's, the, you know, as a surgeon, as a, you know, I'm a general surgeon with a subspecialty in cancer surgery. I tend to have, general surgeons tend to have one of the worst quality of life, you know, in terms of hours, you know, especially a, a private practice general surgeon, because you have to be on call and available all the time. So when I first was starting in my practice, I was on call 24-7 every single day. So if I got called at 4 in the morning, I had to really try to get up and go in and deal with that problem. Because the person calling me, if I didn't go, they would call someone else. And if that person did a nice job, they'd never call me again. Right. Um, and, you know, so now that I'm, I've 
I built this practice. I'm in a multi-specialty practice. I have partners. Um, the Everything's relative, obviously, but I feel like I have a much better life, but it's still insane. You know, I'm still up at a ridiculous hour every day just to have some me time and I'm, I still don't get home till late and I'm working at least two out of four weekends. So I think it's a big deal. I think, wow, my life is great. I actually have two weekends a month free. Right. And most humans think, is that all you have free is two weekends a month? Because the the other five days a week, you know, I'm I'm up at four to five, somewhere between four and five a.m., and I'm lucky if I'm getting home by somewhere. I mean, six seven is considered getting home early, and it's not unrealistic for me to get home, you know, somewhere between eight and eleven at night. But the thing about your job too is, I feel like you would feel better doing it because you're doing good. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people want to work for nonprofit because they want to feel like. What they do makes a difference. Right. And most corporate jobs, I mean, the goal of a business is to make money. I know it's the same as like a private practice. You have to make money. Right. But you're saving people's lives. Right. Right. So does that kind of make up for it a little bit? Like that It definitely feeling... makes up for it. It definitely makes up for it. But it's hard to explain that to, you know, my friend who is expecting me to show up to their house for a dinner or something and I don't show up. You know, and and I say, well, I did some good. And they're like, yeah, but you stood me up. You know, it's, okay. it's really hard to... Or probably your kids feel the yeah, same way. Yeah, exactly. Got it. The desert in his heart. I see. Do you know what that reference no. is? That's from Lost in America with Albert Brooks. I saw that movie. Yeah. When they lose all their money in the casino. Yeah, because the wife gambles trying, it all away. Right, and he's trying to convince them to give the money back. And he's like, you could start this new thing and give us the money back because... The Desert Inn has heart. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I think he becomes a crossing guard after that. Like, lose everything. Something yeah. silly. So I think that's it with today's uh, podcast of Gross Anatomy. And uh, I don't think we really discussed anything medical, per se, today, did we? No, we're just supposed to talk about medical school. Just school in general. Did. Yeah. Yeah. You know How what? Do I, not... I think I've discussed that I'm watching Sopranos. I've been watching The Sopranos while I'm at the gym. Yes. And I'm currently in the episodes where Tony gets shot by his uncle. And there's a gaping wound. Right. Yes. Did we discuss that already? A little bit. But the interesting thing that I also noticed is they had him on a breathing machine, on a ventilator. Mm-hmm. And they did a really good job of having him look like a patient really on a ventilator with the tubes. And the, they, they did an interestingly accurate job of that. So hats off to uh, David Chase and, and the Sopranos whoever, people. Whoever he hired. Whoever did that. The yeah, they, they did a good job of real, real looking intensive care unit stuff. Nice. Yeah. So another accolade for the Sopranos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine.